again, good morning. I'm really excited to, to get to share with you this morning, um, especially as we're uh, in this season of Advent and anticipation, uh, waiting for our Savior and celebrating that. Um, and so this morning, I'm going to be speaking a little bit about hope. Um, I love Christmas. That's like uh, I love everything about Christmas. I love the decorations. I love the songs. Um, you know, I even love the snow sometimes when it happens. Um, and I love gifts, and I love receiving gifts, and I love giving gifts. But my wife reminds me every Christmas how terrible I am at receiving gifts. All right, and the reason I'm bad at receiving gifts isn't because I'm unappreciative or hard to shop for, um, but because I like to peek. Like I like to figure out what's in there before I get it. I see the wrapping as a challenge. Like I will figure out what you are before I open you. Like it's exciting and I like it, but apparently people that give you gifts don't like that as much. So um, I'm a really bad gift receiver, and this has been something that's happened for a very long time. Um, like when I was a freshman in high school, I asked my dad for um, a paintball gun, and I gave him two different options from the same website, and, um, and one was a little bit cheaper, and the other one, it was, it was the real deal. It was the one I really wanted. And I asked him, and I gave him the, the link, and so um, I was sitting at home one day by myself, and a box comes. And wouldn't you believe it's from the place I told him he could buy that stuff. So, you know, curiosity overcame uh, my teenage self, and so I took the box, and I flipped it over, and I cut the, the, the tape on the bottom and opened that box up. And wouldn't you know, it was exactly what I wanted for Christmas. And then some. I was super excited. Like, I was like, yeah. All right, but it was December like 5th or something like that. So I had to put everything back in the box. And I put tape back on the box. And I set it by the door. My dad, he, you know, he took it. And he put it um, in some kind of special hiding place that I found later. But, um, you know. <laughs> And, and he was none the wiser until he listens to this recording later this week. Um, but I tell this story a lot. And every time I tell this story, somebody always asks me, didn't that just ruin the gift? Or didn't you have to pretend to be excited? And I'm like, no, man. I got exactly what I wanted. I was pumped. I don't think I've ever been more excited for a Christmas. Because I knew that on Christmas morning, what I wanted was going to be under that tree. And I was excited. There was a thrill of anticipation. See, the Old Testament Jewish people were experiencing a thrill of anticipation as well. But they were anticipating something much bigger and better than a paintball gun. They were anticipating their Messiah or the Son of God. And we know that, that this is true because even in Jesus' time, after 400 years of silence from God, people were still anticipating the Messiah. When John the Baptist was spreading the word about the oncoming Messiah, people got excited and they were following him. When uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Nathaniel, Jesus you know, showed him one, one quick little small miracle, and he was quick to say, you're the Son of God. You must be the Son of God. And after you know, some of Jesus' miracles, you'd see people coming away. Could this be the Son of God? See, they were, they were waiting for their Messiah. They were thrilled about anticipating their Messiah. They knew he was coming. And their scriptures were full of these little peaks or these hints as what he would be like. And he was going to be awesome. And as Christians, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is the fulfillment 
of this promise of a Messiah. That hope has come. But sadly, that wasn't the case for the Old Testament people. They would read about Jesus in their scriptures, but he was still very far off and very mysterious. And many would, and sadly still many do, speculate as to who the Messiah would be or what he would be like. You know, they might picture a great warrior, you know, like, you know, Jesus coming in on a tank with a bear army behind him, you know, to overcome the oppression. Or they might picture a noble king who was born into earthly power, but who rules with the power of God. Or they might picture a great teacher of the law or a Pharisee who's come before them to give them perfect religion. But very few anticipated a baby, let alone a baby born in a barn, to a carpenter from Nazareth. But we know this is the way that God chose to bring his son into the world. And his son would fulfill all of those Old Testament prophecies concerning him. And this morning, we're going to dial in on just one of those prophecies and talk about what the Jewish people were expecting and what we've received in Jesus. But before we get into any of that, there's a few like basic uh, things that you need to understand before we really dive into this. And the first is this. We were created, created for a relationship with God. Our point of existence is to be in relationship with God. You know, it's not to satisfy ourselves or to, to do stuff for ourselves. It's to be in a relationship with God. That's what God set out for when he, when he created us. It's kind of like this cup. You know, mankind, a long time ago, we created cups. And we, did, we didn't create cups so that someday they could find their identity as a fork. We created cups for one reason, and it's to transport liquids from here to here. That's the point. That's what we made them for. In the same way God created us for Him. See, Rick Warren, he sums it up so eloquently in the first sentence of his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God. See, Colossians 1.16 says, All things were created by God and for God. So I'll say again, the first thing you need to understand is that you were created to be in relationship with God. But now the next bit of theology that we must understand is that there's a problem. We're all broken. You heard me right. I said it right. We're all broken. Even those of us that may seem like we have it all together, we're broken. Again, take this cup. You know, upon first glance, you might think, oh, this is a fine cup. It could do the job. But when you look at it a little bit more closely, you'll notice that the whole, the bottom's out. Like, if you tried to drink out of this, you'd just get wet. In the same way, we have a design flaw. And that's that, not that we were flawed by design, but we've started to sin. We've brought in this imperfection. We have a perfect God who can only be in relationship with perfect beings. But we are, in fact, imperfect. And it causes this great tension. And the only way that sin can be paid for is by blood. The Old Testament Jewish people, they knew this. See, God gave them the book of the law and it instructed them how to properly do sacrifices so that their, their sins could be 
paid for. And this book is extensive, and the sacrifice process is, is grueling, and it's exhausting. And beyond that, when we read in Hebrews 10.4, we find out it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So there had to be something better. There had to be a better answer to this. And according to the prophecies, that, that better answer, that better solution, was going to be Jesus. And this morning, I'm going to read a little bit out of Isaiah 53. 3 through 6. You guys will probably be pretty familiar with this. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. See, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to their own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are created to be in relationship with God, but we are broken by our sin. But they knew that the Messiah would come and lay down his life. So that relationship could be restored. This text that I just read out of, that was 700 years, roughly 700 years before Jesus actually steps into the scene. God's son would shed his perfect blood to pay for the imperfect man. And this means no more bulls, no more goats, no more sheep. One sufficient sacrifice for all. And this is hope. And this is hope for the early Jews, and it's hope for us today. Now, I mean that when I say it, it's hope for us today. Because we know who Jesus is. Or at least most of us know who Jesus is. But there's some of us in this room that may not have a relationship with him. Or may have not given their life to Jesus. And so when we read this text, and we, we dive into this, there are two groups of people, and the first group of people are people who have not decided to give their life over to Christ. And I would implore you, encourage you, beg you to consider asking some questions if you are in that place. And the first is this, do you believe? What you've just heard is, is the gospel message. We are created to be in relationship with God. We are broken by our sin. Jesus has come lay down his life so that we can have that relationship with God. That's the gospel message. Do you believe it? Start, like, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, start pondering that. Do you believe it? Is this true? Why do you believe it or why don't you believe it? And as you're kind of thinking through that the rest of the time I'm talking, after service, come forward and, and talk to one of our prayer counselors. Or talk to the person who invited you, whether it was a friend or a family member. Or come talk to me or Mark or Parker or Teresa or Rob or somebody. Just come talk to us and work through what's going on in your head. What's going on in your heart. Now, I think for some of you, though, you believe or you could believe. But there's other things that are standing in your way. 
Maybe, maybe there's this tension between you and the church. You don't quite agree with everything the church stands for. You don't understand why the church does things a certain way. Or you might just be frustrated with that. And you have a couple options. You can continue to stew on that. And you will miss the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. Or you can, again, start asking questions. Talk through the things that are going on within you. So that you can find hope in Jesus. Because let me tell you something, friends. Your life is hopeless without Jesus. You have no hope without Jesus. Because here's the thing. We are all going to die. That's happy and cheerful and Christmassy, right? But we're all going to die. So you, you live, you die, and then what happens? Even if you accomplish all of your life's goals and amass great riches and wealth for yourself, in the end it all goes away. You can't take any of it with you. Bertrand Russell, a very famous atheist, he once said, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose, it's meaningless. And he's right. Without God, you're just going to die. And that stinks. That really stinks. But see, something amazing happens when you give your life over to hope. You receive this thing called joy. Now, don't misunderstand me. I didn't say happiness. You're not going to always be happy. And your life problems aren't going to go away. And suddenly, you know, rainbows are going to roll out in front of you. That's not how it works. But you have this thing called joy. And it's this, this peace knowing that no matter what happens, no matter how bad things get, this is only temporary. And we are here only to spread the message of hope to other people. And one day, when this is all over, we will have that perfect relationship with God that we are designed to have. That's joy. One of my favorite passages from Paul is Philippians 1, 21 through 24, and it says this. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is even better. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I do not know. See, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. See, Paul, he's lived a very hard life. Just since he's been a Christian, his life's become very difficult. He's been hunted. He's been beaten. He's been imprisoned. He's been stoned. He's been left for dead. And I imagine he's getting pretty weary. But he continues on. He continues on because he has something that no amount of imprisonment or beating can take away, and that's the hope in Jesus. And so today, today, I'm afraid that not all of us have made that decision to place our hope in Jesus, to find our joy in Him. And I would encourage you, again, to be pondering that because in my 25 short years on this earth, one thing I've learned for sure is that life is hard. So don't try to stumble through it without the hope that comes with being a member of the body of Christ. But now there's a whole other group of people. And Emily, Emily tells me I do this thing where I tell stories that I've already told. Like, so 
maybe some of you other wives tell your husband that stuff too, but I, I'm convinced that people want to hear my story, so it doesn't matter how many times I tell it, they're still excited to hear it. But she's developed this sign for me that says, hey, stop talking. You know, your story's either bad or they've heard it. And it looks like this. She does this. You know, she goes, hey, stop. All right. Now, somebody's already asked me, does that actually work? No, it doesn't work. I just keep talking. Uh, I, but she has a sign for me, and it's this. It's, hey, we've heard this before. And sometimes when I, when I give this message, especially to a room full of believers, it's like a whole bunch of people that are looking at me going, man, we know this. I've known this longer than you've been alive. Tell me something I don't know. You know? And, and it's not that we're tired of the story. No, see, this is the most important, most precious news that we've ever heard. It's something that we've staked our entire, our entire eternal salvation on. It's not that we're tired of it. But sometimes we just don't feel like it really applies anymore. But that's not true. Because I don't know about you, but I believe. But my life doesn't always look that way. And guys, I see a lot of other people that are in this same boat. We believe and hope, but our lives don't reflect that. Let me give you some examples. Maybe you believe that you've just lost your joy. The weight of this life and your problems and sin, they've just crushed it. They've crushed your joy. You can't seem to come back from that. Or maybe you believe, this is my favorite, maybe you believe, but you're so busy earning your salvation that you've forgotten that it was a gift in the first place. Let me tell you something. If this is you, if you're, if you're busy doing all these righteous things so you can earn a place in heaven, you probably don't have very much joy. You probably don't have very much hope. You probably have a chip on your shoulder. Because let me tell you something, you're never going to be able to do enough to square up with Jesus. It's just not going to happen. Or maybe you believe, but you're drowning in shame. The weight of your guilt just crushes you. You believe that you've been forgiven, but you've not yet forgiven yourself. Now, there's hundreds of places that you could find yourself this morning where maybe you believe, but fill in the blank. And I'm not going to go into all those. But there is one that I think that we can all relate to. And often, many of us will find ourselves there today. It's this, it's maybe you believe, but that's all the further it's gone. You know, you believe, you got baptized, you go to church, you might even go to like Sunday school or small group, but you just are sort of sitting on it. You're sitting on this faith. See, you've, you've got the hope of Jesus, which is this great wealth, and you're just sitting on it. And when I think about wealthy people just sitting on it, I automatically think of celebrities, all right? You know, like these people that have... You know, they've got a lot of money for doing some sort of small task, like playing an instrument or playing a game or playing a part in a role or a role in a movie or something like that. Maybe I'm just not that appreciative of what they do. But I just feel like, man, they got a lot of money for just doing something fun. But what happens is we see a lot of these celebrities and they build themselves a really big house and they buy themselves some really cool stuff. And that's all they do. Did, did anybody ever watch MTV Cribs? You know, anybody? Just a couple of us? All right, cool. For those of you that don't know what MTV Cribs is, um, MTV would go into these famous people's houses and show you how they live. 
And I, I really liked that show. I'm not really sure why, because every time I either left envious or just really mad. Um, because seriously, Mike Tyson, do you need a $2.3 million golden bathtub? Probably not. Just saying, probably not. However, not every celebrity is like this. The other night, uh, we were talking about Dolly Parton. and I guess she's a really good person. Never met her. But um, apparently a lot of people have. And she's pretty down to earth. And she's very generous and very nice. And in fact, somebody came across the story that she's giving uh, $1,000 a month for six months to any of these families in Gatlinburg that have lost their homes. And that's pretty cool. That's somebody who gets it. They've got this great wealth and they're eager to share it and they're eager to give it away. And a lot of us good people are sitting here today and they're like, man, I would look a lot more like Dolly than like Mike too if I had their kind of bankroll. But most of us don't have that kind of bankroll. But we have something even better. We have the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Something amazing. Something that these years won't be able to take away. Something that's eternal. And we keep it to ourselves. It's like a hunk of gold that we have hiding in our bathroom. But things don't have to stay this way. We can share what we've been given. And it all starts with realizing this very important thing. That the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, is not just for you. Or for the people you like. Or for decent people. No. The message of the cross is for everyone. Hope is for everyone. So let's share it. Let's love people the way that God loves them. Let's serve people the way Jesus calls us to. Let's give because we've been blessed. And let's walk around with the hope and the joy of Jesus just radiating out of us. And you're thinking to yourself, whoa, man, this is an awful big task. Are you going to tell us how to do this? If you open your bulletin, there's 20 blanks. And I know some of you are now panicking. Oh my gosh, he's going to give us 20 more things. I want to eat lunch today too. So we're not going to do that. But instead, those 20 blanks represent a day. Every day between now and Christmas Day. And what I would encourage you to do is share hope this Advent season. Over the next 20 days, come up with something different every day. Something different every day that you can do that is going to share hope with the people around you. It doesn't need to be huge. It could be something small. It could be calling somebody that you haven't talked to in a long time and letting them know that you are thinking about them and you're praying for them. And give them that little bit of hope. It might be buying a coworker coffee that maybe hurt your feelings last week. You know, it, it could be a number of different things. But it doesn't need to be huge. And I would encourage you to make sure that they're intentional and not random. It's really cool if you buy the person's um, Starbucks that's behind you. But they don't know who you are. Pick somebody that you're going to know. Somebody that you can share joy and hope with on a regular daily basis. And see what happens. So we're going to do something that's a little bit different this morning. And that's, I, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I have a hard time coming up with ideas. But thankfully, there's a lot of people in this room. So what you're going to do is for the next, like, I don't know, not quite a minute, just turn to some of the people around you and talk about ways that you can share hope with the people in your life. And just do that right now. So talk to each other.
All right. Bring it back. I hope that you guys have some ideas that you can go home and use. And, and I really do hope that you'll take this challenge seriously. Because it's a way that you can impact the people around you. But I want to close with this. There's a, a very famous Christmas song. And it has these lyrics and it says, The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And there's so much truth. And there's so much power in those words. This world is weary. I find myself weary. You probably do too. But this is only temporary. Because we have hope. And His name is Jesus. And I pray that we live each day rejoicing in the hope that we have in Him. Will you pray with me? Father, you are, you are so good to us. And God, we thank you for your son. And God, that feels so insufficient just to say thank you, but that's all we can do. And Lord, I pray for anybody who's never made a decision to follow him, follow you, that God, that you weigh on their hearts this morning and put people in their life that they can talk to. And Lord, for the rest of us, that we share the hope that we've been given through your son. God, we love you and we thank you for all that you do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.